I've had a lot of great conversations with mentees that I don't think they prize as much as they should. And that's what keeps me going because it's the mentors are great. But in the end, as we progress through the field, those mentees will be what constitute our actual network as we grow. You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Donish Ahmed. Donish is the founder of PRM, a student-focused PR association that provides networking, mentorship, and resources for students and graduates. Primarily a screenwriter and director, Donish is an ambitious young professional now pursuing a career in public relations and marketing. If you're a new grad or young professional, you don't want to miss this episode. Donish and I chat about creating win-win mentorship relationships, how to land amazing volunteer roles, and how he's co-creating the PRM community. So let's jump right into it. Donish, welcome to Create Community. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm super excited for our conversation. I think it's unique in that you're fairly new to the community building world. You just recently launched your community, but it's already gained so much traction. And I feel like you have some really incredible lessons and learnings to share with listeners. So I'm super excited to dive into it. So to get these episodes started, I love to learn a little bit more about my guest's early journey and what actually brought you to where you are today and how you actually became a community builder in the first place. I don't think anybody really sets out to be one. Everybody has a very unique path to it. So I'm curious, what were you like in high school? Were there any extracurriculars that you were super into? And how did you find belonging at such an early age? I think I definitely was one of the misfits in high school. I was more of a class clown and I used to get a bit of a pass just because I was generally really good academically. No, I didn't really feel like the way the ads are for schools, but it was, it wasn't like category anything. It was just great. It was a outsider watching in. And I think I really kind of hit my stride in university more than high school. That's fair. I can, I can totally agree with that. I would say maybe like later on in high school was where I sort of found my like good circle of friends and, and a sense of belonging. But I felt like I hit my stride even more in university and was really able to to really make an impact and build more of a community. So what did you end up studying in your undergrad? What did you do in university? Uh, so I studied primarily English language and literature, as well as philosophy, more so philosophy by the end of it. Super cool. And how did you kick off your career? Did you do something directly in that field? Or what was like your first job out of university? Well, the goal was to become a novelist because I'd been a writer for a long time, amateur writer since like high school and then when I came to university you know I really dove into kind of novel uh, story short story writing but then a professor kind of turned my track and he said you know we have a very visual writing style maybe consider screenwriting so my first start was actually working in the indie filmmaking scene from 2014 onwards until about like 2017 and I really struggled with this idea of self-promotion because I think filmmakers have this where when they start out and they make something they expect it to be talked about on its own merit and they don't really promote much because it feels inauthentic but then you realize that no one's really going to talk about your film unless they know it exists and that's actually when I started considering PR because PR was about you know authentically making these connections like letting your audience know what you're creating what services you offer what products you're selling they exist. That's really cool that's a that's a unique way to get into it. So at that point, you decided to go back to school to pursue PR? 
Yeah, I was discouraged by most of my professors at university. Coming from a philosophy background, like we were very blatant and blunt there. And PR was all about, you know, professionalism and etiquette. They figured it'd be a good place for me just because I'd be taking down a few pegs. And that was true. So it worked out. <laughs> That's funny. On that path there, did you end up seeking out any mentors and how did you find them? I think it's the whole mentorship idea that I've kind of attached onto is because of my background in film, because film is such a saturated industry. And I think most people are talented. It's just getting your work in front of the right people, you know, like making that connection so that they'll consider your work enough to even properly look at it. It, it really built this uh, mentality of mutual benefit. So whenever you want to get help from someone, you always try to help them first. And that's possible even when the other person is at a senior level, when they have loads of experience, you still have to keep in mind that you have things to offer yourself. And ever since I realized that I had something to offer, I used to go out and try to connect with as many senior professionals as possible, no matter the field, no matter whether they're studying what I did. And I was always curious in general anyway, just because everyone's personality is different. And if they're different enough, they end up becoming characters in my screenplays. So it's constant inspiration. That's such a cool way to put it. And I feel like I have a very similar philosophy with mentorship. I really feel like it does have to be this like win-win relationship. How were you adding value to them at you know such an early stage when you were just looking to switch careers? What were you offering these people that were mentoring you? Well, for for example, well, in film, it was mostly just kind of my writing skills for their maybe cinematography skills or editing skills or even production skills. But in PR, you start to realize that so many people come to PR from so many different backgrounds. And there are fellow students I've met who are expert dancers. And then if you ever want to like learn more about the dance industry, you know, I'd talking to them about it. And it's the same way for even like agency leaders. They want to learn more about a specific field. They talk to someone who has a passion for that field. And that could be someone at a senior level in their career or even a student. Because most of the students I studied with anyway, they were in the post-grad program. So they'd already had an undergrad under their belt. So they're pretty qualified to speak on the topics they've studied already. And that's, I mean, I have a few agency leaders that are my absolute favorite to talk to all the time and we get into arguments and that's how I need a strong connection because uh, they're willing to indulge that with me and I've talked about like race and the current climate with uh, Linda Andros of Apex and the mentors create that kind of environment where I can speak about it. it really speaks to the strength of the connection and I try to kind of replicate that open line of dialogue with as many people as possible always. That's really cool. Are there any really meaningful mentorship connections or conversations that stand out to you? Yeah I'm generally most fond of the people I argue with the most. So anyone who's like on a completely different side on an issue, but is still able to remove themselves enough to see that, you know, we're still kind of united in trying to do the right thing, but we're just coming at it from different angles. So yeah, Lindros has been amazing. John Crean has been amazing. These are all mentors I met early on when I was in my postgrad program at Seneca. And I remember I connected with John Crean because he was discounting video and its usage in PR. And I was like, nope. You don't get to do that with me. <laughs> That's awesome. That that takes balls to be, you know, a, a young professional just starting out in the field or still actually studying to be in the field and to strike up that kind of conversation with somebody who's senior. But I feel like that's something that shows leadership and that's something that makes you stand out amongst your peers. So good for you. Well, it's you don't really have a choice, though. Like it, in film, no one will listen to you unless you have confidence in yourself. That's very true. And I think that really translates to PR as well. So I'm really excited to jump into the community that you're building with PR Ramp. 
So tell me a little bit about PR Ramp. What is it for people who are listening who haven't heard of it before? And what was the inspiration for you to start this community? PR Ramp is essentially a student and graduate focused PR association. So it's meant to be a one-stop shop for all needs and concerns that students and grads may have. So our like niche audience is students who are currently studying or graduates that are about two years into their career. And we provide them networking opportunities. We provide resources. We guide them in the right direction if they're looking to further develop in uh, certain skill sets. And I think really it's making sure they're connected to the people they need to be connected to in order to have the questions and concerns met. That's so awesome and so needed. What was the thing that inspired you to start it? When did you have that spark to do it? And what actually propelled you to, you know, take it from idea to execution? When I was a student at Seneca College, I was also the student steering committee president for CPRS. And I always had a tough time getting students to go out and attend the events, even though I attended all of them myself. And I realized some of the barriers that were holding them back. You know, one was that the postgrad course is already a really intensive course. We had eight courses a semester, and then it was about an hour and a half one way to the event, and then an hour and a half back. And then there was also the cost of the membership, cost of the event. And that's tough because most of these students, you know, they're juggling a part-time job as well as the course uh, course workload, and they just visibly could not make it. So then I thought, I was thinking about alternatives to this. And it's also the events themselves felt it's it's tricky when you're a student and you go to a networking event and you have like 30 people who are all like seniors and they've known each other for a while and they sort of already have their groups. And you as a newcomer to the field are expected to introduce yourself, prove that you're a valuable use of their time, especially when you don't even know the field yourself. That That's a lot of pressure. The very first event I did, my entire class promised to show up and I was the only one on that day. I wanted to really create that environment where it's very low stakes, you know, so it's uh, most of our events are only for student grads, so they're not competing with uh, some of the high-level concerns or questions that the senior practitioner might have. And the questions and concerns are, they do kind of resonate across the other students and grads who are in the audience as well. Wow, that's that's so powerful what you said. Like, I, it takes me back to my days and in, in my undergrad studying business. And I remember the pressure of those networking events, especially recruitment events. And it was like, I went to Schulich, which is a popular business school here in, in Canada and Toronto. And and, you know, it was very competitive. It was super competitive to get into the school. But then for those like top positions at, you know, the top accounting firms, if you were studying that field or the top marketing roles in the CPG companies, I remember those recruitment events and networking at those was very, very challenging, especially for anybody who's who's a little bit more introverted and maybe not as self-confident to, you know, strike up a casual conversation. So I can see how that would be even more applicable in PR where it's such a competitive industry. I think introverts in particular, they have this dissonance because the whole concept of networking in essence seems inauthentic. You know, it's like, I need this for this, but we prefer to you know build genuine connections. So I, I always encourage students and grads, treat networking as just going out and making friends. You know, don't worry about what you can get out of them. Don't That'll happen if it happens, but because people will support you in ways you never thought they could if you go in without an agenda. If you go in with an agenda, they only have like a yes or no option. Absolutely. I feel like it took me a long time to learn that lesson and honestly, a little bit ashamed to say that I don't think I even learned that in university. I think it was it was much later when I was more mature that I realized that it's a, it's a long form game and it's, you know, you're not going to get something immediately and you should never expect to. It's about building a relationship and it's about really having a two-way dialogue and seeing how you can help them and, and all about following up and staying on top of it. And, you know, you never know when something could materialize and it could be literally years later and it could be you helping them instead of the other way around. So I think that's such a key lesson to learn and the 
sooner that you kind of grasp that as a young professional, the more successful I think you'll be and the more you're just going to be so much more relaxed in those kinds of interactions. Yeah, I think practice just really kind of hammers that skill set home. Absolutely. So why do you think that there's a need for this community? I think we kind of covered it, but why do you think like now, especially in 2020, more than ever, this community really needs to exist? It's because no one knows how to deal with what's going on right now. And everyone just, just wants to feel like there's someone else right alongside them. And a lot of the concerns are shared and it's easy to feel isolated when you don't hear those voices around you. And we really want to create this virtual community because all of our initiatives are first of all created with a virtual first mindset rather than trying to see how we can turn in-person events and adapt them to virtual. So the opportunities were there. Like it's Discord is the application on which built the server and it's just, it's an application I've been using previously. It was commonly used with my gaming circle. We had a team play together and it was very casual setting and one of my kind of mandates has been to try to make it as casual as possible to like move away from like stiff communications to move away from formalizing the process so that students and grads actually felt like they can say whatever they want. Like I, whenever students reach out to me to even hear some of my advice, you know, I'm open to just hearing them rant because it's that alone itself is a very necessary service that you don't necessarily bring to like a professional association, but they feel comfortable bringing it to, you know, a community. For sure. I mean, that's the difference between, you know, a professional association and these like formal events that are often put on for the industry versus something that's an actual community where you're creating this peer-to-peer connection and people can just feel like they have a place to belong and where they can, you know, have like open and frank conversations with their peers, but, you know, also people that they really look up to and find ways to connect with mentors. What kind of programs are you running within this community? What sorts of virtual events are you hosting? What kind of discussions are people having within the community? Well, one event we're really proud of is every week we bring in our pro, a PR communications or marketing professional into the server to kind of field any and all questions that students and grads may have. It's completely low state. So they're in that text channel. I mean, we all think of Discord as like a really organized WhatsApp chat. So students and grads can just jump in for five minutes if they only have that time to ask a question and then they can get out. All the answers will be there in the server forever, or they can stay in the server for the full hour, ask questions throughout, or they can just passively observe because chances are a lot of the questions asked will be relevant to them as well. I know we had uh, Dave Fleet of Evan come in last week and then Taylor McRae Yu, who's he's had experience with both agents and uh, nonprofits come in last week. Oh, sorry, this Wednesday that just passed. And then we have Jessica Beard of the Blue Jays coming in next week. So we're really varying the experiences and really trying to have our members be a part of the process on who they'd like to see next. So I'm always asking, what else would you like to see? So some some students ask, you know, we'd like to hear about, hear from someone who has a lot of experience with how to make a better cover letter and resume. And so like we have that for the next coming weeks and then a few others about investor relations. So we, that's kind of our priority right now. And it's an event that's only possible in a virtual format because it allows these professionals to communicate with so many at once in a low pressure setting. Because even I think even the mentors themselves, they aren't as comfortable as you might think of like constantly doing in-person appearances, you know? Absolutely. And wow, like I'm, I'm so impressed by the people that you've been able to get so far, you know, for anybody who's listening outside of Canada or outside of Toronto, these are big names in the PR space and really impressive companies. And that's so valuable to have these types of people speaking to these young professionals and to students. How do you foster connection and keep the conversation going between community members, you know, like after these, these talks are done? And, you know, it's kind of outside of the event. How do you keep the discussion flowing? We're trying to move everything to the Discord server. So after the events are finished, we ask some of the most engaged members in the chat if they'd be up for writing a recap 
and that serves another function for them because a lot of them do want to build up their portfolio pieces. We actually have expanded our content creation platform on our website to serve that need because a lot of students had said, how can I develop portfolio pieces when there aren't really any clients that are hiring? And so we're looking for more volunteer opportunities for them. We're looking for more ways to showcase their work. And so we actually, the members of our server itself directly to contribute to to our website and uh, to our content. And so like they, and then they themselves, right after every event ends is when we ask, it's like, who else would they like next? So they're there. And as long as they're there, we can talk about anything. I know even like we have a few casual channels, like our video games channels was, was picking up there, people discussing you know, the new PS5 coming out. And then Arvind, our social media manager, she loves food. So she was discussing food in the food channel. And so it's it's kind of really creating that environment where they can talk about not necessarily things that are just for work, but anything and everything. And we're expanding that as we hear more interests surface from our students and grads. That's so awesome. And do, I, I like that you've started the community fairly small, like this is not a giant community by any means, or at least not yet. <laughs> so that's really exciting. But it's like those first sort of members who are in there are really helping you shape it. And you're almost co-creating it with them and you're getting their feedback live, like right after these these events and you're you're getting their input on, on what would be valuable moving forward. And that's really how the best communities are built when you're building it with your community, not for, and not when you're just guessing at what would bring value and not just doing what you want to do, but really like taking that feedback into account. So that's really great that you're building that culture from day one. I think that's where a lot of community builders go wrong. And, you know, we've had some pretty seasoned community builders on the podcast. They've shared some of their own fuck ups around it. And it's always around doing their own thing and forgetting to listen to the actual community. So really cool that you're doing that. Before coming to PR, I would have said research and analytics was my least favorite subject. But like now that I've seen firsthand what it contributes to, like it's my favorite. Nothing begins without research. Tell me a little bit about the first steps that you took to get this community off the ground. Like, what was the first thing you did and how did it sort of move along? Since I'd already worked with CPRS, you know, a lot of community, uh, PR community were aware of kind of, they'd corresponded with me uh, through that role. And so uh, this mentorship program was something I'd been trying to get off the ground for a while. It was actually supposed to come out early this year, but of course the pandemic hit and then in-person meetings were pretty much canceled. And then later on, Black Lives Matter movement really amplified and that was not a voice, you know, we wanted to take any focus away from. So we pushed it back further. And then finally, I think most every PR professional I've met, they're great people and they want to mentor as much as possible. They just wanted a process that made it that made it easy for them, you know, that made it easy to connect with students. And that's kind of where we are with that platform in the middle that facilitates those connections, ensuring that they have conversations with members who have the skill set that they're looking to develop or are able to address the concerns they have. And that part really kind of snowballed and blew up and like it really accelerated our growth so much when more and more mentors for their time. It's a very small ask that we have. It's a one hour chat with a mentee, uh, maybe once every few weeks, depending on how often we get interest in a specific mentor. And it's so much more accessible now because in-person meetings, you still have to kind of, you know, set aside time, uh, location, but Zoom, you just jump in, jump out, and they're able to do this in the middle of their workday if, if their workplace allows it. And it's entirely possible because of the mentors. And then once we were filling that need, we always had a feedback survey, which is my favorite uh, communication deliverable we have in PR app now. Students will tell us, you know, what else they want to see from us. They had asked for a community repeatedly. You know, they wanted a place where mentees could share their insights with other mentees who've had other mentors. And they wanted a place where students and grads could connect with 
uh, students from other schools. They wanted a place where they could share their concerns and maybe showcase some common asks across colleges. And so that we're just following what they wanted. <laughs> That's how you really amplify it, because, you know, if it's already amazing that people were having these one on one conversations with these mentors. But here you're you're amplifying it by building a community where people can share their learnings from those conversations with everybody else who's in the community and really help everybody in their careers. How did you go about building out your team and, you know, getting people to help you with your vision? The team is actually interesting because I I always need as much help as I can get. And the only real criteria I have from applying team members is uh, come with an idea for how they can improve PR ramp. Because I don't trust resumes at all. You know, on resume, everyone's a leader. Everyone is like a trailblazer. Everyone is everything at once. So like I, I have a conversation with them and I see if they've understood PR ramp, if they see what we're trying to do and if they see a way to grow it further, you know, expand its offerings. And that's how actually I think nearly everyone on our team was uh, brought on board. Like Arvind, our social media manager, she got on board by pitching graphic design templates for our social media. Phil, my first team member, he came on board by designing the website itself. It's a good thing you you, you folks aren't able to see the first website we had because it was terrible because I have no web design skills. But Phil really <laughs> Phil really took uh, and made took Squarespace and made it his own and he built a robust platform for us. And it's and Ashraf, Lice, they all come with ideas. Like it's whoever shows that they understand our mandate and then is committed to what we're trying to do, like I generally tend to bring them on board. Obviously, I make sure that there's a need, but once there is, because it's tricky when you have volunteers applying and they say, you know, let me know how I can help you because that actually adds a task because I have to figure out how I can best use their skill set to serve a need that we may or may not have. But the ones who come in with a need already identified, you know, they've done the homework. They know where they'll fit and they want to make it their own. Absolutely. Oh my God, that's that totally sounds like exactly like the approach that I've taken with Fuck Up Nights. Literally everything that you're saying, you know, we would have so many people who would want to volunteer, especially when we were hosting, you know, our in-person events. At the end of every event, I would just get swarmed with 10 to 20 people. Usually each event would come up and ask to volunteer in some capacity. But out of those 20 people, there's only usually one, even if it, some events, maybe not even one, who would approach it with an idea and say, you know, I really like, I love this event or I've been to a few of, our, of your events. I think that you can do this better or here's my skill set. Here's how I can help you and here's how I can apply it. And you're totally right. Like those are the types of people that stand out, whatever thing it is that you're building, whether it's a community or a new project, whatever it may be. If somebody comes with an idea and they follow up with it as well, it's gonna, it's really gonna set you apart. And that's really how you get those best volunteer opportunities. And it's not rocket science, but I think anybody, you can have like the best intentions, the best resume. But if you kind of approach it from like, please assign me something to do, it makes it a lot harder to kind of land that type of opportunity. Tell me a little bit about how you started to like formalize the organization. So, you know, you created the website and I, I like that your first one was ugly. I think that's anything. Like you have to just kind of ship it and get something out the door and you iterate and you make it better. How did you end up formalizing the organization even more? I know you just recently registered as a not-for-profit and you're looking for advisors. What did those like steps and decisions look like? A lot of the mentors on roster I have personal relationships with. And so I have been relying on their insights a lot to kind of inform what I should do, what I should not do, you know, what would be beneficial for, because they also have a, a strong say in what the PR field needs because they're in it, you know, and they're like a, a different tier of seniority. So I value junior executives just as much as I do like senior executives because 
they have a different lens. You know, like I find that junior executives have a closer watch on kind of the concerns that students and grads have, whereas some of the senior executives, it's been like 20 years since they entered the workforce. So they aren't as in line with the current job environment. So I'm building out a board of advisors and I've been building it out for the past month that includes both people that are like, you know, two, three years in their career, as well as people who are you know, 20 years uh, in their career. And then I really, I'm always worried that at some point they're going to say, this is too much, you're calling me too often, but it hasn't happened yet. And I intend to stay in that lane as long as I can. The Slack or the Discord community idea was experimental and hearing someone Dave Fleet was really on board with the idea and he has gone through so many campaigns in his career. If he felt that this could be something that I could put weight behind, it gave us that confidence to really pull it off and execute it. And he was happy enough to be our first guest as well. I think it's a lot of the mentors who came in and they offered advice and support. A lot of the the mentees, even the feedbacks forms, the feedback surveys, I enjoy reading them because they, even a little line of compliment that they leave, you know, it's like, thank you so much for doing this. In the middle of like administration and logistics, you forget. It just becomes numbers. But when you see that one line, it opened up again. It really gave us the confidence to keep it. So we realized that why don't we expand? And then we move towards, non- we're moving towards not for profit for a while because our intention is always to not gate our like primary services beyond uh, a paywall for students or grads because this is a time especially now you know we don't want to charge them anything and we want to make everything as accessible as possible so if we're not planning to monetize that way it doesn't it didn't make sense to go and register as a business but we are thinking of monetizing in like other ways and like sponsorships or partnerships and so there was a lot of deliberation there but then the not-for-profit just the model just made the most sense i think yeah it definitely sounds like it and i think there's there's definitely some opportunities as you grow it to make it sustainable. And with a nonprofit, you have to bring in um, money as well to be able to make it sustainable and to be able to keep it running. I think you have a huge opportunity down the line with partnerships, maybe some kind of job board as well, referral fee. There's, There's all kinds of things that you can explore, which I think will really bring the community to the next level and help you keep growing it. I definitely count you as one of my advisors on that regard. So thank you. Yeah, it's been such a pleasure to be involved with that. What are some of the challenges that you faced? I know it's still fairly new, but what have been some challenges or maybe any like early fuck ups that you faced with that? I think one of the earliest things that we realized was students weren't aware of just how simple our product was. So they shot, they saw that we were offering it, you know, that we're offering to connect them with a mentor. And then they wondered if there was a cost or they wondered if there's like a complicated questionnaire or something. It's actually very straightforward. The only, we have a questionnaire in place just to make sure that we match them up with a mentor that aligns with their skill set and their questions and concerns. And so that early stage was tough because they all thought that this, like, because they saw all the amazing names on roster, right? And they thought like, well, I can't possibly just connect with them immediately. What's the catch here? Yeah. Yeah. It's literally easy though. So they reach out to us and then we, all we do is we make sure that the mentor doesn't already have a mentee connection active. So until they finish up that session before we send them a new mentee. And we have to keep track of even like a lot of mentors will say you know like feel free to send me like 10 at a time but they'll still burn out and so we try to make sure they only send them one at a time and then you know wait till that finishes what expectations do you have for the mentees do you ask that they come prepared to their meetings with anything like how do you make sure that they're actually fully making use of the time of that mentor do you like filter it in any way or try to help them along or do you just kind of trust that that they're gonna value that time and come prepared themselves we've always had a process in place so the first thing I think I've spoken to nearly every single mentee that has uh, come through our email on the phone because that really gives me a good sense of who they need to talk to because I'll have students reach out and they'll go for like the, you know, the biggest name on roster and after the conversation, they'll realize that that's probably not the best person suited to addressing their concerns and needs. So I always offer them, so already, you know, the mentor roster right now has like 160 names, so it's overwhelming. So I have that call, I get a sense of what their interests are, what, like what aspect of PR they enjoy, where they see themselves going and then I'll suggest like four or five. I'll also keep in mind the one they themselves suggest. 
first and then they get to decide who they move forward with. When I reach out to the mentor, I do have mentees fill out a short questionnaire so that the mentor also is able to assess whether they'd be a good fit for the mentee's concerns and questions. And then we also always follow up with the mentor after the session and to ask for any feedback on their end. And a lot of their insights have also helped inform improvements across PR Ramp, where now we do ask mentees to send eight to 10 questions ahead of the session to the mentor, simply because our ask has always been for one hour, right? And that is a long period of time for a casual chat. So that questionnaire really helps guide the conversation all the way. And the students themselves have been appreciative for it because by and large, most of the sessions do take 60 minutes or more. But the few that have had 30, 45 minutes, we've been able to move that up too closer to 60 just by introducing that questionnaire. So there is a process and it's why we're able to say that we've had 100% fit with the mentor and mentee because I've seen that across all feedback surveys. Every single one has said this was a good fit. That's awesome. It's a lot of kind of like prep work and groundwork to be doing for you, but it's, I mean, that's that's what makes the program so strong and that's what gives people the confidence to, to actually become a mentor and for people to sign up to be part of the community and to, to want to get that mentorship because there is a process around it. I think it would be even more intimidating kind of for both parties involved if there wasn't. That's something you'll definitely have to think about how to scale and what kind of team members to bring on board to help you manage that down the line. What do you think makes your community magical? Are there any early success stories that jump to mind? Any really cool connections that have been formed? I genuinely enjoy that process of that, you know, that initial phone call with the mentees because I don't think they understand how fascinating they are. And because, you know, they're always, they always have their eye on like the practicing professionals. But like uh, film, I was always working with people laterally across from me, people at my same kind of seniority level. And even like Phil, like half our team is more than half of our team is made up of students who came from other colleges. And the only reason I was able to connect with them was because I never had that kind of loyalty to wallet or thing that like, that's pretty common in PR, but um, two of our team members, they're from Humber, two of them are from Centennial. We're going to expand and get a few more from others. And I enjoy talking to them. And honestly, whenever I go in on projects, these are the people who are going to be way more useful to me than like the senior practitioners who are mentors. They don't realize their own value. And so I've had a lot of great conversations with mentees that I don't think they prize as much as they should. And that's what keeps me going because it's the mentors are great. But in the end, as we progress through the field, those mentees will be what constitute our actual network as we grow. Absolutely. Yeah, you totally nailed it. Those people are down the line going to become the mentors and they're going to be giving back to the community in that way. I'm so excited to watch that happen and to watch it evolve like that. What's your vision for the future of PR Ramp? What are you most excited about? We really do want to become the kind of one-stop shop for everything students or grads need, whether that be, you know, mentorship opportunities, whether that be networking opportunities, whether that be resources, like connections with, we're exploring other avenues where if students are considering maybe a master's in communication, we can set up a sort of a shadowing program where they can attend classes at university that offers the master's to just see if it'd be a good fit for them. But we're obviously, you know, still planning it out and that would be a 2021 goal. But anything basically the students or grads are asking for if, if it's feasible if it's within our power to execute you know there's no reason not i think and so it, it'll be decided by the creativity of the collective i love that how can people get involved and support your community people that are listening to those people that are in the field how can people help i mean if you're a 
PR practitioner, a communicator, a marketer, and even maybe even in advertising. You're welcome to email us at comms at PRRamp.com. And all we ask is that our mentors have two years experience, and then we'll get you up on our roster. And it really is a very small ask. It's a one-hour chat very infrequently. And so that's one way that senior practitioners can get involved. Students and grads, I mean, the process really is very simple. You know, reach out, just email comms at PRRamp.com. And within probably a week, you'll be talking to the one you want to talk to. Other than that, I think it's really just spread awareness of our initiative. Know that it's there. It exists. If uh, anyone needs any sort of help as a student or grad, PR Ramp is there. And if we can't meet your needs now, we're evolving to meet it. And is this mostly just for Canada at the moment? Or do you see people, you know, in other parts of the world being able to join the community and find value in it as well? When the mentorship program was first created, it was meant to be Toronto specific, but the virtual environment really opened that horizon. We've been Ontario-wide and we're actually expanding out to Canada and we're thinking about, you know, North America, but it's tricky because the majority of our mentors so far have been in Toronto. Of course, their insights are universal nonetheless, but if someone's looking for very specific practical help about the PR industry in Toronto, they're more suited for that than like in New York, for example. Very cool. So I want to get some of your advice for new grads and also for community creators in general. What advice would you give to Uh, new PR professionals who are looking to grow within the industry and how can community really play a role and kind of give them a ramp to success? I think one of the things that I wish I had told myself was, you know, don't get stuck on a specific career path because the idea of what a career looks like is vastly different than what the career actually is like. So I shifted more towards talking to people I enjoy talking to and then seeing what they were doing and then realizing that that's where to work because the kind of people that are like me, they're there. And, And networking is... Don't take the clinical definition of networking, which is like talk to someone in order to have one of your needs met. Just networking, just see it as like making friends legitimately. With I think it's more authentic when you meet with someone because you enjoy meeting with them. And then maybe months down the line, years down the line, you might need help with something they'd be happy to offer, but never go in expecting to develop a relationship towards a specific end because people can't pick up on that. Like always, it's not something that people can hide. You know, they think they're really clever, but no. And it's it's tough. Like it's, can you imagine talking to someone for like months? You don't like them, but forcing this like fake persona and then you're going to end up looking for them. That's uh, <laughs> that's just a lot of torture. Like, no, just focus on the ones you enjoy. That's so true. And it, it sounds like such a simple and like obvious thing, especially like now I'm further along in my career and I've done a lot of networking. But honestly, like I remember when I was in school, when I was like, you know, in my early 20s and just kind of like trying to wrap my mind around it. And you're so anxious as a student or as a new grad. And especially during this time where, you know, the jobs are tough to get. It was like top jobs. There's a lot of competition. So it's, it can be really anxiety inducing, but really, I think going in with that approach and really, you know, just like fostering the connections that you really enjoy building a relationship, not going in with any kind of agenda, it's really going to take you so much further. And it's so important. I also wanted to get your advice for just, you know, any new grads that are listening to this, maybe people in different industries and fields who are thinking about um, starting or finding their own community for whatever it is that, that they want to do in their career career, how can they get started? Like A, and like trying to find that community and if it doesn't exist and maybe thinking about creating it themselves like you did. I mean, I've, I was listening to some of the guests on the podcast previously and they had such extensive formal community experience. And I was thinking about what my first kind of conceptions of community were. And I always remember at university, every 
Friday, I used to have philosophy students, English students come over to my house and we just discuss ideas. And every week, there was no invitation or anything. They always knew that my doors were open from six till whenever. And people would come over and they talk. And I, I'm realizing now that that was a community, even though it didn't have a name, didn't have a, a title or anything. And one of my best memories is... I remember two of them were arguing and I fell asleep at around midnight and then I woke up at six and they were still arguing about the same thing in the kitchen. And so I think the idea of community, you need to like really think about it informally. Just think about kind of like the friends you have, you know, like think about what you guys enjoy doing together and then think about that on like a bigger scale with more people getting involved, you know, and that will be more fun. You know, it's not, it doesn't need to be like anxiety inducing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, some of the advice that we've heard from, from others on the podcast and, you know, we've had people that have, they're very seasoned community builders, but then there's people who are you know, just kind of getting started and have launched their own community and are learning along the way. But I think like a really key piece of advice that almost everybody shared is the key is just to start. You don't have to overthink it. It doesn't need to be this like massive thing overnight. The key is just to start and to start testing it. And like you said, it doesn't have to be the big group of people. It could just be like five or six people or even less. And really just like testing it and, and getting going and seeing what types of things those people would want, because chances are there's more people out there that are looking for the same thing. And that's sort of how you start building it. I wanted to find out how do you balance everything? You're working full time, you're you're growing this community, you have so many exciting initiatives going on. How do you find balance or are you finding balance these days? I think this one's a bit of a cheat because I'm hyper extroverted, I think. Like I go crazy if I don't talk to people. And actually me talking to those mentees fills that need. They keep me sane and I meet so many new people. That's awesome. I love that. So it's it's like, it looks like work, but it's something that actually really energizes you. So it's great. And other than that, I think I have a solid team that they all signed up for like five to six hours, but they're consistently taking on more hours. And it's great because they I completely enable them. It's whatever they want to do, if it's possible within our budget, they're welcome to make any mistakes because we don't have like a legacy or any sort of tradition to uphold because we're not like a pre-existing organization. We can do whatever based on you know what our students and grads want. If we fail, we learn from it. And so really their energy feeds mine and it, it's what keeps me going on nonstop. So I want to jump into your personal community. I think it's really fascinating how community builders navigate their personal communities outside of what they're building. So what are some communities that you're part of and why are they meaningful to you? I'm pretty heavily invested in the gaming community. I'm looking forward to really growing that niche in our PRM community as well. But the gaming community and the screenwriting community, because my you know primary skill set is still in screenwriting and directing, they give me an outsider's perspective that always reminds me that whatever's happening if it's too much it's still it's not as big as i feel it in the moment because they screenwriters philosophers you know they're always thinking about big ideas are irrelevant to reality but it's good escape too and so it's a good break from any one community if i get too attached or i get too immersed where i can't see outside of that community it's always good to have those multiple friend circles what i think of them more as yeah i feel like the gaming community especially right now it's blowing up it's really giving people an outlet to almost escape the real world and everything that's going on but really cool that you were heavily involved with it before and you have that outlet now as well. So this is a little bit of a strange question, but love hearing people's responses to it. How do you choose your people? Like the five to six people that are closest to you, do you feel like you look for certain qualities in those people or is it something that sort of happens more just organically? I generally tend to be attracted to anyone who's super passionate and preferably not about the things I'm passionate about. Because like, as I mentioned, you know, I enjoy getting along with people who argue because like we have, I think the longest conversations I have are arguments. And uh, a few friends have told me that if I'm not arguing, I don't know how to have a conversation. So it's uh, it's always the people who are passionate about one idea or another, and they are willing to really 
challenge their own assumptions and see the other side as well. So it's most of my friends are people that like we ever meet, whether it be years later or like days later, it'll be a brand new argument. And then we'll, you know, end with like just being the best of friends again. Yeah, that's I mean, that's like a healthy debate. That's awesome that you can do that with your friends, but also what you express, you know, professionally and that you're encouraging your members to to have those kinds of discussions and not I think, you know, a lot of the time as new grads and students, we're very eager to just kind of like please and to, you know, agree, especially with people in authority. But again, like we mentioned, like that's how you stand out and not just like arguing for the sake of arguing or even like, I don't think arguing is, is probably not even the right word for it, but just, you know, coming at it from a different perspective and really, you know, like sharing your viewpoint and why you think it's important and, and why people should listen to it. So my last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast, what does the word community mean to you? I think a group of people who enjoy each other's company and they're united for common goals, plural. I love that. That's that's a great definition. Awesome. Well, Danish, thank you so much again for taking the time to chat with me. I really learned so much from you and I'm so excited to continue watching your community evolve. I think it has such a bright future. Thank you so much. Yeah, I look forward to kind of hearing your insights throughout the process. I had such a great time chatting with Donish, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. You can connect with Donish on LinkedIn or Twitter at Donish R. Ahmed, and you'll find the spelling of his name in the episode notes. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off. A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com, where house is spelled H-A-U-S, or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House and Twitter at Origins Media.